the Law School of America. Shareholder rights. While the board of directors is generally conferred the power to manage the day-to-day -day affairs of a corporation, either by the statute, or by the Articles of Incorporation, this is always subject to limits, including the rights that shareholders have. For example, the Delaware General Corporation Law Section 141A says the business and affairs of every corporation, shall be managed by or under the direction of a board of directors, except as may be otherwise provided in this chapter and its Certificate of Incorporation. However, directors themselves are ultimately accountable to the general meeting through the vote. Invariably, shareholders hold the voting rights, though the extent to which these are useful can be conditioned by the Constitution. The DGCL Section 141K gives an option to corporations to have a unitary board that can be removed by a majority of members without cause, for example, a reason determined by the general meeting and not by a court, which reflects the old default common law position. However, Delaware corporations may also opt for a classified board of directors, for example, where only a third of directors come up for election each year, where directors can only be removed with cause scrutinized by the courts. More corporations have classified boards after initial public offerings than a few years after going public, because institutional investors typically seek to change the corporation's rules to make directors more accountable. In principle, shareholders in Delaware corporations can make appointments to the board through a majority vote, and can also act to expand the size of the board and elect new directors with a majority. However, directors themselves will often control which candidates can be nominated to be appointed to the board. Under the Dodd-Frank Act of 2010, Section 971 empowered the Securities and Exchange Commission to write a new SEC Rule 14A11 that would allow shareholders to propose nominations for board candidates. The Act required the SEC to evaluate the economic effects of any rules it wrote, however when it did, the Business Roundtable challenged this in court. In Business Roundtable v. SEC, Ginsburg J. and the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals went as far to say that the SEC had acted arbitrarily and capriciously in its rulemaking. After this, the Securities and Exchange Commission failed to challenge the decision, and abandoned drafting new rules. This means that in many corporations, directors continue to have a monopoly on nominating future directors. Apart from elections of directors, shareholders' entitlements to vote have been significantly protected by federal regulation either through stock exchanges or the Securities and Exchange Commission. Beginning in 1927, the New York Stock Exchange maintained a one-share, one-vote policy, which was backed by the Securities and Exchange Commission from 1940. This was thought to be necessary to halt corporations issuing non-voting shares, except to banks and other influential corporate insiders. However, in 1986, under competitive pressure from NASDAQ and Amex, the NYSE sought to abandon the rule and the SEC quickly drafted a new Rule 19c4, requiring the one-share, one-vote principle. In Business Roundtable v. SEC the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals struck the rule down, even though the exchanges and the SEC subsequently made an agreement to regulate shareholder voting rights proportionately. Today, many corporations have unequal shareholder voting rights, up to a limit of 10 votes per share. Stronger rights exist regarding shareholders' ability to delegate their votes to nominees, or doing proxy voting under the Securities and Exchange Act of 1934. Its provisions were introduced to combat the accumulation of power by directors or management-friendly voting trusts after the Wall Street crash. Under SEC Rule 14A1, proxy votes cannot be solicited except under its rules. Generally, one person soliciting others' proxy votes requires disclosure 
although SEC Rule 14A2 was amended in 1992 to allow shareholders to be exempt from filing requirements when simply communicating with one another, and therefore to take collective action against a board of directors more easily. SEC Rule 14A9 prohibits any false or misleading statements being made in soliciting proxies. This all matters in a proxy contest, or whenever shareholders wish to change the board or another element of corporate policy. Generally speaking, and especially under Delaware law, this remains difficult. Shareholders often have no rights to call meetings unless the Constitution allows, and in any case the conduct of meetings is often controlled by directors under a corporation's bylaws. However, under SEC Rule 14A8, shareholders have a right to put forward proposals, but on a limited number of topics, and not director elections. On a number of issues that are seen as very significant, or where directors have incurable conflicts of interest, many states and federal legislation give shareholders specific rights to veto or approve business decisions. Generally state laws give the right for shareholders to vote on a decision by the corporation to sell off all or substantially all assets of the corporation. However, fewer states give rights to shareholders to veto political contributions made by the board, unless this is in the Articles of Incorporation. One of the most contentious issues is the right for shareholders to have a say on pay of directors. As executive pay has grown beyond inflation, while average worker wages remained stagnant, this was seen as important enough to regulate in the Dodd-Frank Act of 2010 Section 951. This provision, however, simply introduced a non-binding vote for shareholders, though better rights can always be introduced in the Articles of Incorporation. While some institutional shareholders, particularly pension funds, have been active in using shareholder rights, asset managers regulated by the Investment Advisors Act of 1940 have tended to be mute in opposing corporate boards, as they are often themselves disconnected from the people whose money they are voting upon. Now a word from our sponsor, the Law School of America. Investor Rights Most state corporate laws require shareholders have governance rights against boards of directors, but fewer states guarantee governance rights to the real investors of capital. Currently investment managers control most voting rights in the economy using other people's money. Investment management firms, such as Vanguard, Fidelity, Morgan Stanley or BlackRock, are often delegated the task of trading fund assets from three main types of institutional investors, pension funds, life insurance companies, and mutual funds. These are usually substitutes to save for retirement. Pensions are the most important kind but can be organized through different legal forms. Investment managers, who are subject to the Employee Retirement Income Security Act of 1974, are then often delegated the task of investment management. Over time, investment managers have also voted on corporate shares, assisted by a proxy advice firm such as ISS or Glass-Lewis. Under ERISA 1974 Section 1102A, a plan must merely have named fiduciaries who have authority to control and manage the operation and administration of the plan selected by an employer-employee organization or both jointly. Usually these fiduciaries or trustees, will delegate management to a professional firm, particularly because under Section 1105D, if they do so, they will not be liable for an investment manager's breaches of duty. These investment managers buy a range of assets, for example government bonds, corporate bonds, commodities, real estate or derivatives, but particularly corporate stocks which have voting rights. The largest form of retirement fund has become the 401k defined contribution scheme. This is often an individual account that an employer sets up, 
named after the Internal Revenue Code Section 401k, which allows employers and employees to defer tax on money that is saved in the fund until an employee retires. The individual invariably loses any voice over how shareholder voting rights that their money buys will be exercised. Investment management firms, that are regulated by the Investment Company Act of 1940, the Investment Advisors Act of 1940 and ERISA 1974, will almost always take shareholder voting rights. By contrast, larger and collective pension funds, many still define benefit schemes such as CalPERS or DIA, organized to take voting in-house, or to instruct their investment managers. Two main types of pension fund to do this are labor union-organized Taft-Hartley plans, and state public pension plans. A major example of a mixture is DIA, established on the initiative of Andrew Carnegie in 1918, which requires participants to have voting rights for the plan trustees. Under the amended National Labor Relations Act of 1935 Section 302c, 5b, a union-organized plan has to be jointly managed by representatives of employers and employees. Many local pension funds are not consolidated and have had critical funding notices from the U.S. Department of Labor. But more funds with beneficiary representation ensure that corporate voting rights are cast according to the preferences of their members. State public pensions are often larger and have greater bargaining power to use on their members' behalf. State pension schemes usually disclose the way trustees are selected. In 2005, on average more than a third of trustees were elected by employees or beneficiaries. For example, the California Government Code Section 20090 requires that its public employee pension fund, CalPERS, has 13 members on its board, six elected by employees and beneficiaries. However, only pension funds of sufficient size have acted to replace investment manager voting. No federal law requires voting rights for employees in pension funds, despite several proposals. For example, the Joint Trusteeship Bill of 1989 sponsored by Peter Visklosky in the U.S. House of Representatives, would have required all single-employer pension plans to have trustees appointed equally by employers and employee representatives. There is also currently no legislation to stop investment managers voting with other people's money, in the way that the Securities Exchange Act of 1934 Section 78 FB10 bans broker-dealers voting on significant issues without instructions. Employee Rights while investment managers tend to exercise most voting rights in corporations, bought with pension, life insurance and mutual fund money, employees also exercise voice through collective bargaining rules in labor law. Increasingly, corporate law has converged with labor law. The United States is in a minority of Organization for Economic Cooperation in Development countries that, as yet, has no law requiring employee voting rights in corporations, either in the general meeting or for representatives on the board of directors. On the other hand, the United States has the oldest voluntary co-determination statute for private corporations, in Massachusetts since 1919 passed under the Republican Governor Calvin Coolidge, enabling manufacturing companies to have employee representatives on the board of directors, if corporate stockholders agreed. Also in 1919 both Procter & Gamble and the Generalized Delivery Company of Detroit had employee representation on boards. In the early 20th century, Labor law theory split between those who advocated collective bargaining backed by strike action, those who advocated a greater role for binding arbitration, and proponents of co-determination as industrial democracy. Today, these methods are seen as complements, not alternatives. A majority of countries in the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development have laws requiring direct participation rights. In 1994, 
The Dunlop Commission on the Future of Worker Management Relations, final report examined law reform to improve collective labor relations, and suggested minor amendments to encourage worker involvement. Congressional division prevented federal reform, but labor unions and state legislatures have experimented. Corporations are chartered under state law, the larger mostly in Delaware, but leave investors free to organize voting rights and board representation as they choose. Because of unequal bargaining power, but also historic caution of labor unions, shareholders monopolize voting rights in American corporations. From the 1970s employees and unions sought representation on company boards. This could happen through collective agreements, as it historically occurred in Germany or other countries, or through employees demanding further representation through employee stock ownership plans, but they aimed for a voice independent from capital risks that could not be diversified. Corporations where workers attempted to secure board representation include United Airlines, the General Tire and Rubber Company, and the Providence and Worcester Railroad. However, in 1974 the Securities and Exchange Commission, run by appointees of Richard Nixon, rejected that employees who held shares in AT&T were entitled to make proposals to include employee representatives on the board of directors. This position was eventually reversed expressly by the Dodd-Frank Act of 2010 Section 971, which subject to rules by the Securities and Exchange Commission entitles shareholders to put forward nominations for the board. Instead of pursuing board seats through shareholder resolutions, for example, the United Auto Workers successfully sought board representation by collective agreement at Chrysler in 1980, and the United Steel Workers secured board representation in five corporations in 1993. However, it was clear that employee stock ownership plans were open to abuse, particularly after Enron collapsed in 2003. Workers had been enticed to invest an average of 62.5% of their retirement savings from 401k plans in Enron stock, against basic principles of prudent, diversified investment, and had no board representation. This meant, employees lost a majority of pension savings. For this reason, employees and unions have sought representation simply for investment of labor, without taking on undiversifiable capital risk. Empirical research suggests by 1999 there were at least 35 major employee representation plans with worker directors, though often linked to corporate stock. The Law School of America The content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation Incorporated under a Creative Commons Attribution, Share Alike License. The text has been modified for audio. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context. The Law School of America